Welcome to the Carl Sterling Podcast, delivering conversations with experts and excellence in education. All right, we are live. We are live on Zoom, we're live on Facebook, and um, boy, I've been looking forward to this conversation. My guest today is, uh, to me, a real special guest because uh, a lot of you who listen to my program regularly know some of my history. And I'll just say that a book that he is uh, an author of, my personally my favorite book, most life-changing book for me personally of all the books I have, which is hundreds, uh, really changed everything about how I live my life. And so uh, then once I learned more about my guest, so man, this gentleman has done so much incredible work as a writer and educator. Uh, in fact, Ben Stein, the actor, the author, he calls my guest a poet. I mean, yeah. I could go on for 30 minutes with an intro, but I would like to uh, um, welcome my very special guest, Mr. Michael Long. Thank you for joining me. How you doing, man? Hi, you're, I tell you, you're good for me, Carl. Thanks for having me. Ah, uh, well, you're good for me too. Uh, I wasn't aware of all the other work you did until a little while back. I started researching and I've heard you on some podcasts here and there, uh, maybe one with Daniel Lieberman. Um, but, you know, thank you again for joining me. Um, the book I speak of, folks, by the way, is called The Molecule of More. Yes, thank you, because I have one and it's loaned out. <laughs> Daniel Z. Lieberman and Michael Long. And you know, I, I deal a lot with uh, people with dopamine deficiency here in the movement disorder world with Parkinson's, MSA, PSP, and other conditions. Well, years ago, I learned about uh, some about dopamine. And I'll tell you, when I got this book, it changed everything about uh, learning about my addictive behaviors because I have that type of personality. I have to be addicted to something. So now it's all good things and I live a healthier <laughs> and better life and I love it. Um, so Michael, um, how are you doing, first of all? How's everything in Virginia? Oh, it's wonderful. Another pretty day here. It's turning fall. The weather's nice. I, I, I'm busy, which is what I need. That's what I'm addicted to is busy. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well working on, uh, working on some new books, have some news to share with you about that today. Good. And uh, yeah, it's, it's all good. Thanks for asking. It's fantastic. Uh, by the way, if anyone has questions on Zoom, put them in the chat box. If you have questions on Facebook, write them in the comments. I'm monitoring. Um, Michael, how did you get involved in this book, The Molecule of More? How did you sure. enter sure. into that fold? Sure. Well, the book, uh, the title explains a lot. It's uh, The title here is uh, How a Single Chemical in Your Brain Drives Love, Sex, and Creativity and Will Determine the Fate of the Human Race. Not too much of a big promise there, huh? Not too much. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and this is a book about the role of dopamine in the brain, which sounds like as dull a topic as one could pick. But in fact, uh, as, as you know, Carl, and as those who've read the book may know, uh, uh, the best way to understand the world itself and how we interact with the world is to think of the two ways that we connect. Mm -hmm. We either anticipate stuff 
And that's a good feeling to anticipate something like, like kids before Christmas. Uh, or we enjoy what we have, like playing with the toys at Christmas. Yes. Now, it turns out the far more attractive feeling, the the one that, that is, can trip into addiction is, is the uh, is the feeling, again, use that word attraction, the looking forward to something, the desire for the things we don't have. That's what pulls us into the future. And that's what dopamine does. If you have too much of that, you, uh, you, uh, you, 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 you can be overwhelmed by it. You can be obsessed with that chase. Uh, if you have just the right amount of it, you can be highly creative and productive. You have too little, you really don't make much progress at all. So it's about, this book is about uh, how that process works and how we balance it with what we call the other experience, the H&Ns, the here and now yeah. experience. How do we balance seeking what we want via dopamine versus enjoying what we have, the here and now neurotransmitters? And with that in mind, I can answer your question. Um, Dan Lieberman, Dr. Dan Lieberman, and I uh, have been friends for at least two decades, more than that, actually, almost a quarter century. And uh, and uh, a few years ago at lunch, uh, we decided that it would be fun to write a book together. So the surprise may be that this was not uh, this was not a, a mission. This was the result of two guys who really didn't like sports and who wanted to do something that would put them in the same room regularly. Mm -hmm. And so, and so uh, Dan, who's a, a psychiatrist who is at George Washington University, uh, and I'm at Georgetown University. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and he said, he said, let's cast about for an idea. And he came across a book by a man named Fred Previk. Fred Previk, neuroscientist, who had investigated dopamine uh, three or four decades ago, written a book about it, and not much attention to that book outside of specialists. But uh, but Dan brought it to me, and he said, I think that if these ideas were expanded upon and, and presented so the layperson could understand them, it might be life-changing. Carl mm -hmm. knows that. And uh, and so we we talk. I remember where we were. I remember the exactly where we were sitting in the restaurant in Washington D.C. And he said, "I think I have it." So this book was inspired by the work of Fred Previk, who okay. we acknowledge. He's the first person we mentioned in the book, mm -hmm. and uh, and we uh, spent a couple of years doing this backwards. Carl, you've written books. You know how this sure. works. Typically, when you write a book. You write what's called a proposal, or you actually what you write is a pitch first, and then you write a proposal, which just describes what you intend to do. It outlines the book. Uh, it's a lot of work to write a proposal, but it's not as much work as writing a book. And what we did was we said, because we're rather independent dopaminergic guys, we said, we're going to write the book we want to write, and then we'll try to publish it mm -hmm. totally backwards. Mm -hmm. So we spent over two years writing this book interesting and after we'd written it we uh we started to send out pitches only at that point and we wrote a proposal and you know the usual response from a to, to agents who represent your book to publishers and usually an agent's response is how long do you think it will take to write the book you've proposed mm -hmm. and our answer was always well i have it here on this drive would you like it mm -hmm. 
Anyway, I'll come up for air for a second, Carl, because I've been talking for a moment. That that gets us to the point where we were ready to sell a book we had already written on a on a on a lark and on a promise. Two years of work with no guarantee of pay. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, well, let's go into um, if you don't mind. I want to talk about other things you you do and you have done it's so interesting to me we could do a 10 episode series just on your work seriously or more but i'll tell you the the thing that i i i i actually think about this every single day for example i'm out yesterday at breakfast i, I don't ever eat breakfast but i did yesterday because i went out family and I'm looking at this omelet when it comes, because I love this place, the omelets they make at this place. And I'm looking and I'm thinking, you know, the very most uh, excitement I have is right before I take the first bite. Mm. Because it's almost like the law of diminishing returns. Now that first bite is epic. And I love the hot sauce. I love it really hot. So we put some hot sauce on and that that's a, that's a rush. And I'm trying to be appreciating each bite with my here and now, you know, endocannabinoids and the oxytocin and all these and enjoying it. And then I get to the end and there's a little bit of sadness on the last bite. I mean, not sad, depressed, but it was so good. But I don't have as much dopamine. Uh, like every, every bite is more dopamine than the next because... <laughs> <laughs> but it, what I find is this whole thing about dopamine and the anticipation, the drive towards getting some, I'll tell you what I really want is I, I've got an iPhone 10. I really want the 14, but I know what's going to happen. First of all, I don't need a phone. I just want it because I know the camera's better and I know I can do more things and, you know, I'll have it. And then two to four weeks, it'll just be like, whatever. It's just a phone. And then I have to not want the next one that's coming out, right? <laughs> and that's how they get you. I'm telling you, they do it on purpose. They know dopamine makes well, them buy things, I'm sure. It's got to be a marketing scheme there somewhere. <laughs> they, they may not understand it from a neurochemical yeah. perspective, but they understand what it is. And and uh, uh, let, me, let me shed a little light on it. And you know this from reading the book. I'll refresh your memory. Uh, if you knew exactly how you would feel when you had the new iPhone 14, you wouldn't want it nearly as badly, um, but and, but that's, that's not, true. But that's not because of the nature of how it will make you feel. It is because right now there is the possibility that it will make you feel so much better than yeah. you can imagine. That is, you think it'll make me feel pretty good, but there's a possibility it'll be spectacular. Yeah. Now, the difference between what you expect and what happens is, is called a prediction error. Yeah, uh, interesting. And and the greater that error is, the more that dopamine hit, the more it draws you in. If you go to the door when you when the doorbell rings, there's always a chance it's somebody to present you with a check. Not much of a chance, but it could be. <laughs> and if that has ever happened even once where good news has come, you know, oh the the you ever heard the song The Wells Fargo Wagon from the music yeah. from the music man? Yes. And they go through it could be something for someone who's no relation or it could be something special just for me. And that's the thing. Every time something that has a whiff of the unknown attached to it comes along, mm -hmm. it's possible that could be fantastic. If you know every time somebody knocks on the door, it's just 
it's just the guy putting the newspaper there. You don't care. But if sometimes it's the Amazon guy with a package you want or somebody oh. with a present. So the bigger the difference, the greater the possibility that it's something good, something, well, not even good, something unexpected and uh, the, 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 the more uh, dopaminergic rush you're going to get. So that's why you want the phone, not because of how it's going to make you feel, but how it might make you feel. Uh, you know, and that's that's a very, very important addition there in, in uh, perspective and thinking. The possibility, I love that. And, and Lieberman talks about that. You talk about it in the book. Possibility is huge. Yes. Possibility is huge. When you talked about breakfast and you said the the first bite is just before the first bite was the best moment of course it was this looks so good this may be the best eggs and hot sauce i've ever had and then you bite it and it's not and dopamine begins to fade yes. and the h and n's take over now you're enjoying the taste of it that's not nearly as intense as the anticipation, what might be possible. Mm -hmm. So what what you what you what happens is dopamine. Uh, it doesn't really hand off, but in effect, dopamine says, "My work is done. I've got you here. Now enjoy what I have. Enjoy enjoy what you've brought." And 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 the problem, dop highly dopaminergic people can have is that system doesn't hand off. It doesn't turn down or turn off. It just keeps going. Now what else can we find? Now what else can we do? Uh, as we say in the book, Neil Armstrong, who went to the moon, he was he's a highly dopaminergic individual. And, and he was asked, uh, what are your thoughts on having been to the moon? And here's what he said word for word. It was something we did. Now we should do something else. The experience of being on the moon was not anything significant to him. It was wow, that's as big as it gets. And his life crashed and burned as a result because there was no bigger report prediction error yeah. that for like, him to experience than going to the dang moon. Like what's next? Yeah, what what could follow that? And it turned out nothing could, and he had a lot of trouble. So this is really interesting because, uh, for example, um, you know, I have an uh, addictive probably brain. My derp, I'm probably highly dope, dopaminergic. Um, one of the things that happened when I read that book is my focus on being able to look at myself in the mirror and really be honest and say, okay, dude, <laughs> be honest with yourself. It, you know, that can be a really hard thing to do and you can put it off maybe your whole life or for a long time, like in my case, and then look and say, you, you got a problem. You, you didn't take too much of this. You eat too much of that blah 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 and every time you do it pretty much every time you actually don't need it like uh you know and then another author um from lifespan uh david sinclair dr sinclair harvard interesting stuff you know we're talking about eating and uh why do we eat do we need to eat nearly as much as we eat the answer is most of us don't need to eat as much as we eat but eating can be so comforting and that gives us that feeling of uh, gratification, instant gratification. Um, I've certainly been there a million times eating emotionally, sure. except that it took so much work to lose this 30 something pounds. And now I feel so good. I'm addicted to CrossFit. So I go <laughs> with my daughter like three, four times a week and I started- What a wonderful problem. That just, that just crushed and melted the fat. Plus 
I was scared to death to go. I mean, I'm a master trainer, national trainer, sports medicine, blah, blah, big deal, right? But no, I thought it'd be bad. I love it. So now I can't wait to go. But bottom line is um, what, what I'm realizing is dopamine can be, there can be a healthy focus. In other words, for me, it would be uh, not to turn this towards me, but I might as well. No, no, no. You experience with it is you can create the dopamine within yourself by focusing uh, uh, on getting it a way that's healthy rather than an external dopamine spike or causing it from an external source like booze, Mm -hmm. food, sugar, drugs, maybe for some, whatever, or, 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 or video gaming for 12 hours a day or, or porn or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, the things, there are external sources. And then you can, when I started concentrating after this book about internal, everything changed. Thank you, Michael Long for this. Well, I, you're so kind, and I, it, it, nothing makes me happier. I don't, I don't, I, you know, you said you'd seen me in other of these. And I got to tell you, I, I, I do them very occasionally. I, I don't do a lot of these, but your story is so compelling that I, I had no choice. I, I had to, <laughs> I had to say yes to you. And I, and I have to give the credit here. I, I'm, I'm a writer who's trained as a scientist. I am not a scientist who moonlights as a writer. Uh, I'm primarily a writer. And my friend Dan, Doctor Doctor Lieberman. This is this is his uh, thinking and ideas. This is my expression of those ideas. So uh, I want to be sure that that Dan uh, gets gets all the credit because he is absolutely a, a gifted psychiatrist and, and critical thinker. Yeah, yeah, and it, I, I like his new book too, uh, Spellbound. Spellbound, yes, yeah, yes, beautiful Spellbound. book. Um, Great book about well, the unconscious. Uh, it's really fascinating. Um, so you know, let's. Let's move out of the molecule of more. Although um, I saw something somewhere, maybe it's in your resume. I have here um, or yeah. bio. Is there a sequel coming? Yes, that's the news. Like that's I can the news share with you. It'll be in I Publishers Weekly. I'm first I think one in line to buy it. Yeah, it'll, well, thank you. I think it'll be in Publishers Weekly uh, this week or next. I'm not sure the timetable on that, but uh, the tentative title is "Taming the Molecule of More." We've already signed this contract. It'll be published. Uh, probably in the spring of 2024, maybe a little earlier. And, uh, and so if you like uh, the ideas in the molecule of more, taming the molecule of more is a how-to guide, oh. for putting these things into practice in various areas of your life. This is beautiful. Oh, I can't wait to get that. I have, I have the new I have the new manuscript open in this monitor right over here. So. Oh, man, I just want to spy on you now. <laughs> you'd, no, you'd, be, you'd go, this is it? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> But the anticipation is so good. Uh, this is, I'm so excited about that. I know it's going to be top level, top notch material again. Can't wait. Okay, get ready, folks. The taming of the molecule of more. Taming of the molecule, taming the molecule of more. Taming the molecule Just of put more. put taming oh. in front of the old title. You got the new one. All right. Okay, good, good. Well, okay. I'm just curious. Um, I, I have to say this to people just because it, it impresses me. Politics, policy, nonprofits, and education, some of the people you've worked with or for. Executive President George W. Bush, mm-hmm. Vice President Walter E. Mondale, Donald Rumsfeld, uh, William Bennett. I mean, no, this goes on and on and on. Tom Ridge. This is fascinating to me. Robert Dole. 
I mean, the list goes on. So I'm curious if you could, in entertainment, we got Jerry Seinfeld. Who doesn't know Jerry Seinfeld? And so many there's other things I could right go on, there. This, uh, Tell me how we did together. I'm curious to know kind of a, a, just a quick backstory on how you got into writing. And then how do these pathways get created? How did you wind up in these various positions? Because there are a lot of arms coming out of your uh, where you've gone with this teaching and writing and um, tell us, please. Um, sure. Uh, I, I was raised in uh, Southeast Missouri in the rural South, uh, far from any, any city. Um, and so TV is sort of the, the opening to the world there. Well, uh, to answer your question, uh, I was interested in a couple of things. I was interested in, in science, in particular physics. And uh, I was also interested in writing and, and, and comedy, comedy performance. And so that's an odd combination in some ways. So I went to the university, studied uh, physics. I was going to be a theorist. That's what I wanted to do was, was, was theory. Uh, did some graduate work. Uh, and at the same time, I was, I was doing stand-up uh, and writing a little bit. And uh, that was where my real passion was, was, was stand-up. Uh, and, uh, and so I pursued that stand up didn't really work out for me at the time for a much longer story than we have time for. Uh, and I ended up, uh, working as a uh, coder for about a decade, uh, converting, uh, business systems into mathematical models and coding them up in Fortran, a very interesting work if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, but time passes and you want to do, you want to do the thing that compels you. And so I thought, well, if I'm not going to do stand up. Uh, the people that I admire who write happen to be speech writers. So I started writing them letters in the early 90s. And oh. it turns out speech writers don't get any fan mail and they will write you back. <laughs> so I wrote them and I said, this is what I want to do. And they said, come to Washington. I'll take you around. We'll have lunch on me. And that's it. And that's how it began. Um, a wonderful critic, you may not know, named Terry Teachout, uh, now recently passed away. It's from the town one town over from me, and he'd, he'd found great success as, as a critic, uh, writing for the Wall Street Journal, uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, other publications, and Terry helped me as well. So I came to Washington, ended up writing speeches for uh, uh, Senator Fred Thompson, mm -hmm. uh, the, the famous uh, actor in the Senate, who, of course, was one of the attorneys at Watergate. Yes, uh, the guy who who wrote the question, what did the Old president to know? Remember that too. <laughs> when did he know it? Yeah, so yeah. I, I wrote speeches for Senator Thompson for a while, although he hardly needed me. And uh, then I ended up at the White House Writers Group, which was the Reagan and Bush speech shop uh, that turned its attention to the private sector after President Bush's uh, uh, defeat in 1992, mm -hmm. uh, and I joined them. And that's how I met a lot of those people. I've worked, uh, you know, mostly on on one side of the aisle, but I've worked both sides of the aisle to some extent. Try to be try to be an issue agnostic and keep an open mind. And love everybody. Uh, and then I was uh, I grew acquainted with Ben Stein, mm -hmm. uh, who's uh, an actor and a commentator and, and an attorney. And uh, uh, he's an attorney. I didn't know. Oh that. gosh, he's you know what is he not? He's what a guy. There's a polymath right there. Yeah. And Ben became, Ben and his father, Herb, who was the chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors of the President or, under Nixon, became close with, with Ben and Herb, his father. And Ben was a mentor to me for well over a decade. 
And these doors began to open. What I discovered, Carl, is what I think you've discovered, which is if you do the thing that brings you joy, you'll get good at it. And then people want to be around you and give you work to do it. Um, And if they don't, you're still having fun. So who cares? And that's the story of my career right there. Wow. That, I think that's a great story. I love that story. Um, real quick, my story is I was a geek and a nerd, and I just wanted to learn as much as I could. I started a podcast nine years ago. It led to two different jobs out of New York City, teaching and traveling around the world. I started my own company, my own program, as I got into movement disorders, and boom. And now, writing my third book, I'm especially interested in talking with the writers, and you're the first one I've talked spoken with. <laughs> Do you take private students? <laughs> oh well, we'll talk about the okay. special case, Carlton. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I actually enjoy writing a lot. It's another reason I wanted to talk with you because I find it to be a real beautiful form of getting things out of me and putting them into the universe. And if nobody reads it, it's okay. At least I got to write it down. There you go. Um, what are you working on right now? What projects do you have happening? Uh, you teaching at the university, right? George I'm Washington, still, you. Right? I teach at uh, Georgetown. I've taught there for 15 years. Okay. Uh, I teach in the master's program in uh, public relations. I teach uh, writing there, uh, public, uh, public relations writing. Over on the public side of the house, open to the public, uh, so you don't have to be a student. I teach... Uh, uh, speech writing. I teach creative writing and uh, special projects, often for for uh, sounds ominous foreign governments, foreign entities that want to come in and train their speech writers. I do a lot of that for for uh, for organizations outside the U.S. Uh, my work falls into three categories basically. There's the work that I do for myself, playwriting, uh, this kind of work, uh, short pieces. Uh, the other part I do is I ghost for other people. Uh, I've just completed two nonfiction books, and I'm, I have two others going uh, for for authors, for you know, for signers. And then I do this training. I do a lot of training through Georgetown, but mostly people call me up and want me to come to their company and train their their writing staffs on very basic things. Actually, uh, it turns out that my philosophy of of writing is if you learn the basics, everything else sort of follows. And that's what nobody wants to study. But once they learn that, that's what nobody bothers to study, I should say. You learn the basics, all that other falls into place. So we spend, uh, I, I train a lot of people that you can see there on my resume, some of the companies we've worked with. Oh, yeah. And if you teach them teach them the basics uh, and get them, get them really conversant in the basics, mm-hmm. everything else just falls into place. And, and you, you say what you more easily say what you want to say. You're finished faster. You're more satisfied with it. But all this complexity, you don't need that. Think Hemingway. Uh, yeah. Um, well, just for those watching and listening, um, some of the companies, Ford, McDonald's, Sprint, Verizon, Fannie Mae. Forbes, uh, going um, McDonald's USA, Willis Holdings, Walt Disney Parks and Resorts, Ernst and Young, Cliff Bar. Don't forget Cliff Bar. <laughs> Where's Cliff Bar on here? Oh, it's in there somewhere. I always think that's funny. I like that. It's, I think I think actually I did some writing for them. I don't know if I did any training. Oh yeah, Cliff Bar. Yeah, Ernst yeah. and Young, Cliff Bar. I mean, yeah, this is fantastic. Coca Cola. Exxon. That's fantastic. Well, I, I think that that's great that you do that. Um, I'm fortunate. 
I am fortunate. Uh, it could have happened to anybody. It happened to me. I am so fortunate. Well, you seem like a um, pretty easy person to talk with and communicate with. And um, I think, you know, I've, I've, so one of the things that also made me want to reach out to you is I've heard you before. I was like, you know, this, this, this gentleman is going to be great to talk with. So I got I just have to try to connect. So again, I reached out and you said, yes, Bravo! <laughs> you put me on your show. I I'm thanking you, Carl. <laughs> well, no, it's my pleasure. It's my honor. Um, I mean, we could go on and on and on, but, um, I know we, we have some time constraints, both of us. Um, tell me if, so just for those watching and listening, we did not talk about anything. We've never communicated before other than email. And so the question I'm going to ask you is completely unfair, but I know you'll have an answer <laughs> because you're the professional's professional. For anyone out there in the writing arena, let's say, <clears throat> who wants to do something, publish something, maybe put out a book. I'm, like, again, I'm doing my third one. Um, what advice do you have for them? Two things. Um, I'll, I'll tell the first one by, by, by way of an anecdote. When I was doing stand-up, when I first started doing stand-up many years ago, uh, I remember coming off stage and the guy who ran the club, who was, who was the guide for all of us as we got started, things weren't as active in that field uh, then as they are now. He said, you know, that second bit you do off the top, I go, yeah, he goes, take that out. It doesn't work. And I said, yeah, I know it doesn't really work, but it might someday. And I like it. He said, I don't care if you like it, take it out. And I said, but I like it. He said, you're not up there for you. Mm. You're up there for them. He yeah. said, I put you up there because I need butts in chairs to sell them food and drinks. Mm -hmm. If they're not entertained by you, they're not there at all. And I can't sell them anything. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the lesson here for all writers is quit writing for yourself if you intend to be published. Now, that doesn't mean throw away your inspiration, but it does mean don't say, I'm going to write what I want. And, and if you don't like it, you can go pound sand. Well, that's fine if all you want to do is put <laughs> words on the page. But if you want to be published, you have to say, what does the market demand? What do they want? Write for them. The second thing is you got to treat this like a job. You can't go at it. Oh, I'm going to futz with this a couple of days a week and this and that and a little bit of time when the mood strikes. Nobody has a job they work at when the mood strikes. Yeah, Nobody's successful. You know, uh, uh, Stephen King, someone once asked Stephen King, uh, how does he get so much done? And he said, I wake up every morning and I say, okay, you SOB, it's time to get to work. The people who are successful at writing treat it like a job. They don't do it when just when they feel like it. They do it when they have to. Because if you want to be published, um, you're up against me and a lot of other people. Now, I'm not the greatest writer in the world. No way. That's laughable to even consider. But I'll outwork a lot of people, and there are a lot of folks like me. So unless you're ready to go to work, don't even bother showing up because you're going to get your heart broke. So um, number yeah. one, write for the people that you're trying to sell to. And number two, treat it like a job. Okay. I love That's great advice. Um, I can speak to that a little bit. My first book took three years to write, and it's because I did it part-time. Yeah, well, three years is book, not bad. Three years is not bad. That's good, Carl. Uh, my second book took about three weeks, mm. literally. But I That's knew a lot more scary than three years. It, it probably really took longer, but I knew exactly what I was going to say. There are many le less, much less words. It's not proper grammar. 
fewer words in that book, if that's a word. Um, it's about a third of the size and it says more. There you and go. That's I'm nice. happy with it because it also costs less to produce. I don't have a publisher. Amazon's my publisher. I have to figure out how to go about the publishing thing at some point in my life. But bottom line is that book is selling well because it's shorter and it says more. And, you know, I did it. I just sat right down and I went to work and I didn't know that's how I needed to do it, but it felt better. Good. So, Good. You're, you're way ahead of the pack. Uh, thank you for that advice. Um, just one more thing. Um, so you've got the Taming of the Maliki Lamour coming out spring, probably 2024. And then any other books coming out that we should be looking for that you're you're involved in? Uh, you know, uh, interesting. I, I have a play, a, a one-act play in New York next month, the 13th through the 16th. Uh, it's on. It's part of the uh, Players Theater short play festival in the fall uh it's just a very short one act but if you're in manhattan you want to go down to the west village catch it at uh, as i say october 13th and 16th the show is called fire trap it's a monologue uh starring beth gibson and it will be uh let's see i guess that's yeah it's thursday friday saturday in the evenings and sunday afternoon down at the players theater on beautiful. the google beautiful i'm directing and i wrote it so it'll be fun well, Michael, I really want to thank you so much again for your time and everything you're putting out there for, um, you know, all your inspiration and really for helping me. I know Daniel's a psychiatrist, but you're a writer and you know all this stuff that's in that book. And you explained it so beautifully right on the front end here. So for those who are uh, watching and listening, uh, be sure to pick up The Molecule of More. There you go. Finally learned to bring a copy of the book to an interview. <laughs> Took me years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pick the book up. I'm, I'm telling you, uh, nothing can be lost by reading that book. If anything, you know, I can appreciate my three little grandchildren a lot more now because seriously, I'll get into here and now a lot quicker these days. Instead of being often thinking the other, the other world I'm thinking in while I'm holding one of them. You know what I mean? Yeah, grandchildren don't do that under, to you. They're all under two. And, you know, I don't want to be thinking about something else while I'm with them. So, you know, it's just taught me so much about how to live now, live better, and actually be healthier. So thank Let me you. Tell you that's, that's all that matters. Yeah. That's all that matters. Uh, there are a lot of things that, that we do in life. And, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not getting rich writing the molecule more. I'll tell you that right now. But but the fact that people come to me occasionally and come to Dan and say, this helped me live a better life for me. Yeah. Boy, I mean, what what greater thing? Can somebody come up and just tell you that? Yeah. What a what a life that is. Wow. So thank you for giving that to me. Oh, my, it's my pleasure. And, you know, if anyone out there wants to know more about how this book and more detail changed everything for me, just reach out to me. There you go. And you'll, you know, just reach out. I'd be happy to share it because I got a lot of information I can share about that. And it's made my life a 180 turn in the opposite direction. So um, stay on with me just for one minute, if you don't mind after this. And thank you, everybody, for watching on Zoom and on Facebook. Again, thank you to my special guests, Mr. Michael Long. We are grateful. Everyone, have a fantastic day. And thanks for watching. Take care.